Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Josh Mann, pastor of Youth Ministries, as he begins. Like I said, this is a significant weekend for us as a church. It's a very definite before and after moment. Uh, and I kind of view this weekend kind of like, uh, pardon the sports metaphor, but football season's back, so... <clears throat> Like a locker room talk, you know, before our big game next week. Because the game is, is by definition, a very public thing. But the locker room is a little bit more private. And uh, we've done a lot of preparation, a lot of strategizing about how we're going to put our foot forward. And, and, and this is our last corporate conversation before that day. Uh, and I think it's very fitting that we spend it talking about a day that has yet to come, but one day will. And heaven is a wonderful place filled. Just kidding. I mean, I'm not, but the, the singing part. Heaven is something we refer to a lot, but we don't talk about a lot. You know, like if you pray to accept Jesus as your Savior, we talk about someday you'll go to heaven, and it just kind of stops there. Like, just trust us. It's awesome there. No crying. I think there's lots of gold. Uh, you want to go there? All right. But I, I think one of the reasons we, we don't discuss it a lot is because of, uh, it's kind of, there's aspects of it that are confusing. And so there are some things that we all agree on that are clear, we're confident in about the future, and there's other things that we'd probably have different perspectives on or, or see differently. And so that's why I'm here. You came to church on a good weekend. We're going to sort this out. Because really, look around, of all the people who probably know this best, it's, it's me, right? <laughs> What? No. <clears throat> I want to, uh, I do want to have a conversation about heaven, about that sacred place by which every other sacred place is but a mere reflection. And it's one none of us have experienced fully. Although I will contend over the course of this message that we have experienced it in part. We have experienced first fruits. But heaven is this conversation about what will be. But you know me, I like to, for that to be in its proper place, we need to understand what was and what is to really understand what will be. Because what will be will not just show up on the scene haphazardly with no regard or relation to what's come before. It's not just like, scratch, bing. It, it very much is, is the culmination of what's been happening between God's work on earth and in, in human life. So, so to, get a, to, to put this in its proper place, we need to understand where we've come. So I would ask that you would grab a notepad, grab a pencil, and let's, let's dive in. We're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground, and I'm going to build, build a... Uh, a line of reasoning here, as we seek what the scriptures say about heaven. We will end in Revelation 21, which is found on page 1230. But we will start in Genesis. 
Okay, this part of the message is, is part of this how it was. How it was. We know in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. God created and it was good. We know from, <clears throat> we know from Colossians that it says there that through him all things were made that were made. Things on earth, things in heaven, things visible, things invisible. So one of the things that we need to establish from the very beginning is that when God created the world, he created an earth and he created another realm, heaven. He created things that were visible and he created things, he, he made things that didn't used to be there, but now that are there, but you cannot see them. We have to understand this reality to look at life and the world the way it is and the way God created it and the way God told us it was. So we know that God created things invisible and visible. So he creates the earth, which is visible. And on the sixth day, he culminates his creation by creating man in his own image fundamentally different than every other created thing, either visible or invisible. There is no invisible spiritual reality that is made in God's image. Only man. And here we stand in between these two worlds. We have a physical body, a visible body that, you know, dwells on earth, but we also have a spiritual body. A part of us you can't see. That's not as controversial as it sounds. Like we all, if we're honest, can testify to some level of there being an aspect of who we are that is not summed up just by what we can taste, touch, feel, hear, smell. So, man stands in this in-between of being made in the image of God, having a visible and invisible side, a spirit and a body. And uh, we have a special role in this world that God's created. God had created a lot of good stuff, and after everything he said, he said it was good. And then he creates man. He creates male and female in the image of them. And he says in Genesis 1:28, God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful, and increase in number. Fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over. So we see God... Creating a, a, a world. And of this visible world, he creates man last. And he puts us in authority over this world. And he says, steward. He says, rule over. He says, subdue. He says, I've given you authority. I've given you autonomy to, to establish my way of doing things in the whole planet. Because now you're small, but someday you'll be big. So, so be fruitful, multiply, fill it, and subdue it. Exercise leadership. Exercise righteousness. Do it in the way that I tell you to do it. But God is love, and so God creates out of love. And love, by definition, is a mutual commitment. Love, by definition, is a choice. So love does not manipulate, love does not force, love does not control. And so God creates us 
And he has a will for us, and he has a plan for us, and he has a purpose for us, and he's given us the authority to carry it out. And we have the choice of what we will do with it. And what we do with it, as you know, determines where this thing goes. So what does man do with the authority that God has given them over the earth? We find in Genesis 3 that very very early on, they are tempted to use their autonomy, their authority, their will, their choice in, in a way contrary against the purposes of God. So God very clearly said, here's how I want you to do this. Here's the life-giving, God-honoring way of using your, your, your volition, your will, your authority, your, your choice. And the enemy comes along. There's a spiritual enemy who's hanging out in this world who deceives and says, Are you sure that's the best way? I'd like to propose an alternative. Maybe maybe he's wrong about that. Maybe it's better if you don't do things how he described and you actually go contrary to to his purposes. I think that's what you should do. And man has this choice. Like, that's freaky, scary, that God gave that, like, did you know that could happen? And man and woman choose to go against God's purposes. We're talking about how it was. It was good. God was with man. That's a very big deal. That's a core element of it. Man has authority over the earth, meant to rule and and, and use it in a proper, life-giving, God-honoring way. That's how it was. The enemy comes along and says, why don't you consider an alternative? And man does and chooses it. And in doing so, something changes. Because here's what happened. We used our authority and we used it in the manner that the enemy wanted it to. God says very clearly through Jesus, you're either for me or against me. There's two kingdoms in this world. You're for me or against me. And and on that day, we were against him. And we handed over the authority God had given us to the enemy. Because his will was done through us. And now our relationship with God was fractured. And the enemy received the power and the authority that had been given to us. That sounds weirder than it is, but let me take you to another passage in case you're losing me. Uh, I'd like to turn to Luke 4, uh, uh, the temptation of Jesus. You can write this down, Luke 4, 5, or you can just go there with me. The temptation of Jesus. I'm contending that the enemy has a legitimate authority. And here's, here's the crux of the matter. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Okay, this is just an interesting little turn of events. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted. He ate nothing during these days, and at the end he was very hungry. At the end... The devil leads him up to a high place and shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. 
Every political, governmental, societal structure in the world, everywhere where there's authority and a way of doing things, he shows Jesus them. And he says to him, I will make you a deal. Let's make a deal. I will give you all their authority. This is the enemy talking to Jesus, saying, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Why does he tempt Jesus with this? He doesn't tempt him with a sexy lady. He, he, he first tempts him with food, which is appropriate and relevant because he hasn't eaten for 40 days. So he's going for what Jesus already wants. And the first is food. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way God was going to provide for me. And the second is authority. Because Jesus was after the authority. Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh, sent to restore what had been broken, sent to get back what the enemy stole. And so here he is on, the, on earth and the enemy shows him all the authority. Now keep in mind, Jesus later says something about all authority being given to him. We're not there yet. But at this moment, the enemy shows him all authority and says, I'll give it to you. This is what Jesus came for. He came to destroy the works of the evil one. His words. But this is not the way Jesus was to get authority. The reality was Jesus had another way to do this. Because the ultimate sting of the enemy's curse on earth is death. When the enemy got authority over this world, the earth began to decay. Human bodies spiritually were dead. Human bodies physically began dying. This was not a part of the original picture. But under the enemy's curse, under him in charge, things lead to entropy. Bloodshed. Disease. Sickness, pain, suffering, injustice, unfairness, evil, oppression. Those are all fruit of the enemy's kingdom. And it all funnels down into death. It's an unavoidable reality. And it's the sting. Trees decay. Human, it, it all comes down to this. And so Jesus would pursue the authority that had been handed over. But he would go the full distance. He would pay the full price. Because the reality was that a separation had taken place between God and man when we chose a way opposite of what he intended. Separation and punishment. God's appropriate wrath for all that you've ever seen ugly and evil had to be dealt with. And Jesus takes on the form of man and lives a sinless life. He beats the system. 
And yet he pays the penalty. He absorbs all the evil in the world on the cross that day. And once and for all, paid for it. It's been dealt with. Okay, so he died. Cool. All that means is you, what happened to you is what happens to all of us. You died. It's part of the gig. It's part of this new world. Yeah, but the story doesn't end there. We are defined not by Good Friday, but we are an Easter people. Because the reality is something happened. Jesus physically was brought back to life. That should not be possible in the old order. But Jesus is brought back to life. And and Jesus talked about this kingdom again and again and again and again. That he was the opening bell. Jesus talked about the kingdom more than any other subject. In fact, in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom, 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 75 times in 28 chapters. Almost three times a chapter, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And now while we have often said you believe in Jesus and you go to heaven, that language doesn't really appear in Jesus' language. He talks about heaven coming here. He talks about the kingdom being near. He talks about God's kingdom coming. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, questioning him before he's about to be crucified, says, are you the king of the Jews? And he's like, "Uh, you're not going to get what I'm saying here, but like, yes, but no. Like, not like how they thought, but... So he says, my kingdom is not of this world. This world, it's not like that kind of a kingdom. When you think kingdom, yeah, that's not mine. This kingdom has a a rule. This kingdom has principles. This kingdom, these kingdoms on earth exercise power by powering over. Authority is power over. How do you rise in this kingdom? You rise in this kingdom through achievement, through accomplishment, through, through status, through accumulation of resources, of wealth. That's how you rise in this worldly kingdom. And Jesus was saying, yeah, I've got a different kingdom and it has different rules and different principles. And you want to know what? In my kingdom, those who have power serve under. In this kingdom, power is meant to enforce behavior from the outside in. And in my kingdom, I serve under and I change people through love from the inside out. In my kingdom, in which I am king, I take the ultimate form of the servant and I offer myself sacrificially. That's what this kingdom looks like. This kingdom is different because you know what? In this kingdom, children are not that big of a deal, especially in first century Judaism. They have nothing to offer. But Jesus says, ah, yeah, but that's not like my kingdom. 
In my kingdom, children are at the front of the line because they have untainted faith. And in my kingdom, faith is what makes all things possible. And in my kingdom, all things are possible. In this kingdom, not all things are possible. And in this kingdom, to get ahead, you need good deeds and you need hard work. And in this kingdom, you need faith. And so Jesus tried to spend time with his disciples and tried to teach them how to live according to this new reality, how to live according to his kingdom that was coming. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. And he tried to teach them again and again and again, this is what the kingdom's like. This is what the kingdom's like. Okay, in this world, when you get wronged and when you get violated, you take revenge. Tit for tat. In this kingdom... You forgive. In this kingdom, you love enemies. You seek their best. You give thanks in the midst of suffering. Jesus was always talking about the difference between the kingdoms because in him was the beginning of all things being made new. And here's the reality. This is not as... Is like new as it sounds, you are experiencing the reality of Easter because most of us in this room have been spiritually brought to life. That should not be possible. But in this kingdom, through faith in Jesus, through what he accomplished, through the authority that he took back, anyone, anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be spiritually brought back to life. They will be renewed from the inside out. Though outwardly they continue to waste away, inwardly they are being renewed. Jesus, on his last time with his disciples, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new... Reality. And so here's what I want you to do. You who have experienced it and lived it. I want you to go into everywhere around the world where this old kingdom is the status quo. Where it's normal, where it's expected. How people are valued and treated. How power and leadership is is, is viewed. How resources and wealth. I want you to take this kingdom and I want you to go into that kingdom and I want you to make new thinkers, new believers, new disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Announce from the rooftops, experience in your life wherever you're at and take wherever it's not this new message that in Christ all things are new, that in Christ all things are possible. You see, in this world as we experience it today, I know God is all-powerful. And I know God is sovereign. And I hope you do too. But we have taken our poor use of the word control, God being in control, and I believe misunderstood what's going on in reality today. If God is completely in control, then anything ugly and bad and evil that you see in the world somehow has to be attributed back to him. And 
in, in, in sick ways, we, we can justify this by the good that God brings out of bad situations. We don't deny that. The Lord does work everything out for good for those who have been called according to his purpose. Joseph said what the enemy intended for evil, God redeemed for good. Yes, God does redeem evil and suffering, but we don't have to imply that he causes it. God's will is not always done on earth. Not everything that you've done or that's been done to you was God's will. God is in control, kind of, but remember, he gave part of that control to us. He gave us authority, and we had a choice with that. And we made a choice, and it completely affected the rest of human history. Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray, says, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, blessed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this imply? It's not always done. It needs to be done. It should be done. It could be done. But it's not always done. And we've experienced painstaking realities of God's will not always being done. The reality is heaven is this picture of where God is on the throne. Heaven is this picture is where God's will is done. Heaven is this picture where he's in charge. It does exist somewhere. It's not everywhere here. It's not everywhere here. So what Jesus was saying was, I'm making possible this new world where God's will is done, where God's presence is felt, where God's grace is experienced, where God's salvation is lived out. It's possible anywhere because through me, all things are being made new. So I want you to go wherever God's kingdom is not and I want you to establish it. Oh, we can't do that. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I give it to you. You will do what I've done. You will be my body. The church will be my body continuing to do in the earth what I did. And Jesus would go into towns and he would heal every disease and sickness. Because those are not reflective of this kingdom. Those are part of the old world order. But there's a new world order that's available through faith. It's close. It's near. It's possible. And so those who have authority in Jesus over the evil one, those who have the Spirit's power and presence living inside of them, those who understand God's purposes in the world can go out and in every corner of society, in every corner of the globe, can manifest God's presence, can manifest God's kingdom coming. Give the world a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like because it's being birthed in your soul. But it never was meant to stay there. The world will see the physical expression of the kingdom of God expanding before they will embrace the spiritual reality. So, God says, show and tell. Demonstrate and explain 
There's a new reality. When you look at people, when you look at prostitutes and peasants and presidents, I want you to reflect God's vision of them. I want you to reflect God's love for them. I want you I want them to see in your eyes the reality that there's another world possible, that there's second chances, that there's new beginnings. As Easter people, we can never give up on anything or anywhere because when it was at its worst, God's son, sinless, suffering for the sins of man, the beginning was just about to come. We can never give up. Our spirits testify to life coming from dark and dead places. Dallas Willard says, the Christian life is not about getting into heaven when you die. It's about getting into heaven before you die. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Over your career, over your relationships, over your status, seek the kingdom. Pursue the kingdom. Give witness to the kingdom. Usher in the kingdom. Pray that his kingdom would be established on earth. Use the authority and power now in the hands of Christ to reorient this world in light of the grace and goodness of the one by whom it was made and for whom it was made. You and I have been co-missioned to join in the mission that Jesus began. Let's get... We have a picture of how it was. That is a picture of how it is today. We live in the tension of these two worlds where the invisible reality of God's kingdom is coming, breaking into corners of our hearts in the physical world and has yet to fully come. We live in the in-between. Let's go to Revelation 21. Where is this all going? Revelation 21. This is after some of the <clears throat> like more confusing things in Revelation. We're just going to go to the good stuff. <laughs> you can figure that out. Because I can't. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the invisible and the visible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. We know what it's like to have new birth, to have the old us gone and the new one here, the relationship between the two. It's like this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God onto earth, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now... The dwelling of God is with men. We see this picture of how it was meant to be. And we see this picture of how it will be. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. Or crying. Or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything 
new. The primary reality of heaven is the four-letter word, with. More than gold and, and cool stuff, it's with. It's how it was meant to be, God with man. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And as we see unpacked later in this very chapter, we are again given authority to carry out God's righteous purposes in the world. I am making all things new. We know that God's greatest desire is to be worshipped. To be in relationship with people. People that he self-sacrificially has loved unconditionally. Not regardless of our works. But because of who we are. Because of who he is. And he wants us to appropriately respond with worship and praise and love. And we were together in the beginning. And we screwed it up. And he sent his son to, to reconcile. And the reality is that you and I now carry around in our bodies the very presence of God. We were with him here. There was a temple to signify his time and space kind of presence. And then boom, he's available to live in us. Because we are now the temple. We are the church. We are the body meant to usher in the kingdom. And one day he will be with us fully manifested in every area of our hearts, our lives, our bodies. As Paul tells us, we will get new bodies just like we've got new souls. Our mortal bodies are, are failing, but they will be transformed into one like his, Paul says in Philippians 3.20. And we will be with him. We know God's presence is everywhere, yet we also know that God's presence is hauntingly absent. From people and places. In that day, his presence with us will culminate in making everything new and restoring us in creation to the state it was meant to be and forever will be. Until then, we pursue the experience and the expansion of God's kingdom through Jesus' authority by the Spirit's power in our lives and around the world. It's a message the world is literally dying to see and dying to hear. And the most visible, tangible, closest expression they will ever see is you. The work that has begun in you and is going on in you and will one day be completed in you is the closest glimpse they will ever see to what the kingdom of God can, does, should, and one day will look like. Here's two application questions and then we'll close. Your personal life. Has the kingdom of God do you know what the kingdom of God looks like? What, what, what it's marked by? What evidence is? If not, I would pursue that. But we, we have a, some sense of what God's kingdom looks like through Jesus' life on earth. What he did, where he went, who he touched. Has the kingdom of God, the peace, the rule of authority of Jesus come to every aspect of your personal life? 
We know that it's come to your spirit, that you're alive in a new way. But you have not been made completely new. There are aspects of your life, your thoughts, your heart, your body, your relationships, your emotional past, your physical pain in the present, your addictions, your habit, your integrity. There are aspects of your life that are not yet completely under the lordship of Christ. The kingdom of God has not been fully realized in your life. But you know that through faith, that world is available to us in the present. That all things are possible. We pray that his will would be done. And his will is that we would be changed, sanctified. So what aspect of your personal life does not look like that? Whatever it is, feel awful about it. I'm talking paralyzing shame. Just feel so bad you don't want to be around other people because you don't want them to notice. And just feel bad because what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. So you got to kind of like carry it yourself. And just try. Try real hard. I'm kidding. But that sounds very familiar to far too many of us. No. Wherever you find that the lordship, the authority of Jesus is not fully experienced in your life, realize that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. So there's not, there's, you haven't been fully made as you were meant to be, as you will be, but there is no condemnation. There is a, a process, there are principles to this kingdom by which you can experience fully the reality of what Jesus meant you to experience. Now, here, confession and, 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 and honesty and transparency and the hard work of understanding how we got here and But there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the second application, the first is personal life, and the second is your place in life. Has God's kingdom fully come to where you are in life? Your vocation. Along the way, a weird strain of if you really loved God and you wanted to serve Him, you'd be a pastor, and then like the B team... Just didn't make it. And so they're like bankers. Like, I don't know where this came from, you know, but it's just, it's not true. The reality is not that God wants his kingdom to come to the church. God wants his kingdom to come to the world and it will come through the church. And the church is full of people who occupy seats in every domain of society, every aspect of society. And they need to fully embody and pray and usher in God's presence into that world, into government, into the arts, into education into agriculture, into every area. What does it look like? Because it is a physical time-space reality. But is it currently being reflected? We're opening a medical clinic. You can have the greatest heart in the world, but you're of no value if you didn't do your homework in middle school, in high school, in college, and go to college some more, and then some more, and then some more. But if you did, if you used the gifts God gave you and you developed them and pursued them, then you can use them to experience and to establish and to show this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It makes things new. It treats with dignity. And you can be of significant value. That's happening all around here. But it's not fully yet. Your season of life, your neighborhood. What aspect of your neighborhood is not reflective of the kingdom of God? 
What does that look like? What does your neighborhood look like? What's the gap? You are sent there to usher that in, to give people a taste, to call that world into this one. Pray and partner with the Holy Spirit in seeing his kingdom come to every aspect of your personal life. Pray and partner with the Holy Spirit in seeing his kingdom come to every aspect of your place in life. Let's pray. God, I thank you that through Jesus, it's a new day. We would all be dead physically and spiritually someday were it not for you paying the penalty and ushering in a new era. So Father, we pray that your kingdom would come to our hearts, to our bodies, to our church, to our city, to this world. That the way you intended things to be would increasingly be that way here. We pray that as we venture out into a new entrepreneurial idea to, to, to show and to tell what the kingdom looks like to a city that ha- needs to see another picture, a better picture. God, we pray that you would empower us with your authority, with your creativity, with your grace, with your mercy, with your humility to serve so that they might see who they are who you are. We pray for new life. In your name. Amen. You have been listening to Josh Mann, pastor of Youth Ministries at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m., and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.